is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand it off to Minner, hit in the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation, this is the KLIN Husker Hour. Strike three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. Stonsage got it! Underdog, and then one! Exclamation point! Now your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholz and KLIN reporter Matt McMaster. Good and happy Saturday morning, Capital City. Caleb Henry, that's right, I'm back. Filling in for Guess Cole Stukenholz. Back, back, back again, again, again. Caleb's back, back. Sorry, that was a little cringy. That's all right. If you would have been gone, I would have went, it's the return of, of the Matt. Mac. <laughs> of the Mick? Return of the Mick? Of the Matt. No, it could be the Mick. Yeah, it could be the right. Mick. That's better. That's Matt McMaster. He's uh, in here. Happy to uh, have him taking over those reins for me for the most part. Yes. On this, uh, on this Saturday morning, KLIN Husker Hour. Got a great show for you guys coming up. Um, obviously going to get into some Husker hoops later in the show as both men and women are in action today. They're both figuring out how to move on still. Uh, for the women from Allison Widener, for the men, found out this week that Emmanuel Banamel injured and then Juwan Gary had been out before that as well. So going to look at both of their games coming up. Husker baseball began practice yesterday. We're going to look at their schedule a little bit later, some expectations as well. But we will have head coach Will Bolt on the program at the bottom of the hour. That's he will be, be awesome. live on the phone, so going to get Coach Bolt. And then we got to start with some football stuff. We'll get into the roster breakdown because we're over 100 on the scholarship <laughs> Crazy. guys um, for going into this next year, and obviously we'll have spring ball that'll weed some out. But, Matt, we got to start with this one. We, we learned the coaching salaries. Yes. Um, and we've got almost all of them. We've got one left. So, so here's this. For anyone who hasn't seen or you've seen bits and pieces of the coaching salaries for Nebraska football, um, and then we'll get into a little bit of recruiting as well because there were some commits this week. Here are the coaches' salaries that we know. Obviously, head coach Matt Rule, $5.5 million this first year. And you're, you're going to see that have some increases with it as well. Now, to the parts that have a $7 million assistant pool, and that's what we learned from uh, Athletic Director Trev Alberts. Here are, in descending order, the salaries for Nebraska football assistants. The offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, $1.4 million. Defensive coordinator, Tony White, $1 million. Now, real quick, a little note here. Those are the first two coaches ever, assistant coaches assistant ever, coaches. in football, in Nebraska football history to make a million or more. Yeah, to hit that seven-figure so mark. So hit two of them. Hit two of them. That's something. That's you, something to note. Well, you hit two of them, and before we go through the rest of them, you thought you were going to see more of that, right? Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I not assumed, more. I assumed. Well, well, let me put it this way. I assumed when they said the seven million dollar pool that there would be. I, I did not know that there was never a million dollar assistant coach in Nebraska football history mm-hmm. until they were hired. I had assumed that there was, and that there at least that a lot of these guys on this list with that $7 million pool filling up 11 spots, that there would be more closer to that. Mm -hmm. But now knowing what the staff is, now knowing who was hired and what their previous positions and their experience was before that, not surprised that those are the only two guys that are not only at the million mark, but there's really no one that close to the million mark after them and as well. Right, yeah. So the next closest you then have Evan Cooper, who's in the uh, the secondary, um, $670,000. Special teams co- coordinator Ed Foley, we'll talk about him in a little yeah. bit, $550,000. Strength and conditioning coach Corey Campbell, $450,000. Defensive line, Terrence Knighton, $400,000. EJ Barthel with the running backs, $285. I got a couple of these out of order. Donovan Riola is at $325,000 on the offense. Offensive line. Um, Rob Dvoracek, linebackers, 285000 Garrett McGuire, wide receivers, 285000 And the one that we're still waiting on, tight ends coach Bob Wager. I think we can assume that's 285. Considering the fact that he was, he's coming, he's, he doesn't have any college coaching experience. At least well, over the last 15 years, he hasn't had any college coaching experience. I mean, I could see it being 250. But Really? Okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I that's could fine. simply for the fact 
that he's coming straight from high school. He he hasn't necessarily exactly, he yeah. hasn't necessarily worked on a rules staff um, at Baylor or Temple or in the NFL. Well, so so there there's some differences that I see there. But if you're maybe they do just put a baseline at 285. My thing is though, Bob Wager is probably if you're going to put him at the bottom of the coaching pay, I wouldn't say that he's at the bottom of importance. No. I, I know that he's the tight ends coach, but he is crucial to well, their I know their strategy in terms of Texas. I know you know that, but mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that I think that it would it'd be a little surprising if he wasn't at that 285 mark, just because I think that he's very very important to the recruiting profile and the print that they're trying to put mm-hmm. on Texas. Now, I think the the to your point, while he might make a little less, is I I don't I think no matter what he would get two fifty two eighty five it'd be a pretty big raise to what he was making at at UT, Arlington Martin. I all mean, right, all right, high school coaches. How much? Well, I'm just saying. No, 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 I'm no, just saying. No. Like I think that's a pretty accurate statement. You could like, probably pay him a hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a significant. It's raise, significant you know? raise. So I don't. Yeah, I, to to my to my point. I wouldn't pay Bob Wager. I don't think Bob Wager is on the bottom of not that anyone's on the bottom of the tree or whatever, but I wouldn't pay him I wouldn't think his importance is like the least amount. But I think that Yeah, you know where I'm going. Yeah, I I know, you know what I'm I know going. what you mean. Yeah. Um just trying to uh, defend because I love Bob Wager no, already. I'm no, trying to, I'm trying to make sure I don't want him getting cheap shot or uh, not cheap shot it, but uh, low balled here by the by the, by the Huskers. You know. No, and I think some of it becomes how do you project out somebody what what they're going to be to your program? Absolutely. Um, some of that in that case, you've got the young guy, the 24, 25 year old Garrett McGuire. He might end up being the most important part of your staff if he's That's someone great who, can, point. who can stick around. That's and great he's point. at that two eighty five. That's a great point. Um, That's a great point. So, so you got to see where those salaries. So those add up in total, um, including head coach Matt Rule. That's uh, just over eleven million dollars. Now, when you look at those assistant coaches out of that seven million dollar pool, five point six million. So yeah. you, you've got uh, well, it's five point six five. So you've got one point three five million, one million three hundred fifty thousand dollars left, still waiting to hear uh, Bob Wager's salary. But we know that's going to be three hundred or under, right? So, so you're looking at a million dollars most likely still going to be left in this pool. There are two ways I'm seeing how people feel about this. Go ahead. Number one, well, gosh, why wouldn't you use the whole pool? Why wouldn't you go out and if if you're paying someone. Three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Why wouldn't you find someone worth six hundred? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you go get some of those guys? Why wouldn't you, if you have a million left over, try to have gotten someone that, if you're paying Evan Cooper for secondary at six hundred seventy thousand, why wouldn't you want to go get someone else at one point two? Sure. So, so there's that side of it. The side of it that I'm more on, because I'm not a moron. Hey, they're not morons if they think that. I think that's a pretty standard. I think that's a pre- it's it's common sense. You're given seven million. I wanted why to, you I wanted six? to make I wanted to make the pun. Sure, go ahead. It's it's fine. Okay, you're not a dad yet. What's a more? What's because you're not a moron. The side that I'm moron. Oh oh, oh okay 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 yeah, yeah yeah. I wasn't catching. Sorry, I was too focused on your. Taste. Not funny that I had to explain it. No. Um. <laughs> so the side that I'm leaning towards. Yeah. <laughs> is the side of he got the guys that he wanted. And those were the going rates for those guys. Now, if there were, and there's room to grow within that within that salary pool, because let's say he fills out that seven million, and then you go to bowl games the next three years. Well, there's probably bonuses that need to be paid out. Sure, there. guys are probably going to want raises and extensions, and you would you would absolutely be in the right to do that. Then all of a sudden you're flying past that seven million. So I think starting out you're seeing. On top of all of the other things with the recruiting that we'll get to here in just a second, yeah, you're seeing this coaching staff do something that Nebraskans like, right? Fiscal responsibility. Here, <laughs> here's your budget. Here, as a whole, right? Sure, but sure. But as sure. a budget, they go. Trev Albert says, "Here's seven million dollars," and you see right away come in. All right, I can keep it under that seven million, and I'll save you a million right now. So, you know, they have a surplus and uh, Matt Rule just goes out and buys a $1.3 million fur coat so he can uh, they can get the, that's an office joke hey, for you. Hey, 1890 Club, yeah. here's a million here's dollars a million that bucks. we're not using on the coaches. A couple, couple things. Um, in my opinion, this very, this very much could be a non-story in terms of what he was, what the salary pool was and, and what he spent, because I think you're absolutely right. Um, but... 
you know, I've learned in my time covering Nebraska football that there is no such thing as a non-story. So I think that everything's got an every, angle. Everything's got an angle, and I think that the people who look at well, you're given seven million. Why did you spend six? I think that's an, a very fine res- like response to this. Here's my and look. Just, just, just because I'm curious, and I don't think this really affects my overall opinion of Matt Rule and what he's done, and what the staff has been able to accomplish since they, uh, since they've all gotten hired, is I wonder, did Trev make the seven million, or did, or did they together say seven million? Yeah, that's what I'm going to need. Did, was Matt like, hey, I, I'm going to need seven million for the staff I'm going to bring in, or did Trev, did Trev just say, hey, we're going to give you seven million? Because we think that's a, you know, we've had problems with the assistant coaching pool in the past. And, you know, we think that the investment in the assistant coaching pool is important. So we're going to give you a lot of money to go and spend that. And then I think it's more on the administrative side. Okay. Because I think regardless of who was hired for the head coach, and we know that Matt Rule was, was, what, one A, 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 A? Like he was the guy that they were going to. Regardless of whoever they got, I think it was still going to be in that seven to eight million dollars okay. because that's well above what Nebraska has been paying out for sure. a salary pool. Absolutely, and I think that look, we saw over the the Frost era that how important assistant coaches can be. I feel like a lot of people took that took away from that really from that era is like, hey, assistant coaches are really important, and like the head coach isn't going to have the reins and everything. They're not going to be coaching the guys the entire time. You're going to need at least that's what I took away from it. Mm. But my next question would be. Did was this rules like you said was these was these his guys all the time the whole the whole time the whole way through these are the guys that he wanted and they just ended up being six million or did he get denied you know were there you know I, we know that Jake Peets was offered was mm-hmm. offered a job and decided to stay in the NFL so that's that's one that we know of but I, I'm just curious as to how many guys did he have that ended up saying no or ended up saying hey that's not a job that I want and if it's a lot. You know what? What's what? What does that indicate? That mm-hmm. those were the the two questions that I would ask. Am I going to get answers to either of them? No, no, I'm not going to because we're you know we're not going to have Trevor or Matt on the on the podcast right. or on this on this radio show or anything like that. But I, those are those are the two things that pique my interest in terms of being most likely being a million dollars short in terms of the pool you were given and the salaries that that were dispersed. But I think in terms of just the overall. Coaches that they've hired, you know, I think he did a pretty good job on the coordinators and he hired his assistants and he got the guys that he wanted. And I think that so far they've proven that they can recruit. And on the on the recruiting trail, 26 guys so far committed or have signed signing period coming up in the next week. They got three recruits already. We'll get to get to that, I guess, in the break and uh, talk about about them some more. But I think uh, six million. I think he hired a pretty good staff. I think he did a pretty good job. He did a good staff. I like it. We'll get into I like the, it too. We'll get into those commits. We'll get into what recruiting has looked like, where Ed Foley has been, signing day coming up, and full roster breakdown. Thanks to our buddy Parker on Twitter. We can see exactly Absolutely. where all those scholarships are. the best are. man. We'll have all that coming up next here on the KLIN Husker Hour. Inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping things moving on this Saturday morning. Again, if you stick around for about 15 minutes, we're going to get Nebraska baseball head man Will Bolt will be joining the program. It's going to be awesome. Also going to be talking some Nebraska men's and women's basketball a little bit later in the show. But continuing our conversation on the Nebraska football coaching staff and recruiting. Um, first off, uh, as Caleb Henry here with Matt McMaster on your KLI. By the way, at Matt, Matt McMedia, at I, Caleb Henry on Twitter. Caleb, you're doing a little giveaway. Go ahead and go and follow Caleb. Oh, yeah. If you follow me, uh, once I get to a certain uh, follower threshold, I'm giving away a Levante David signed jersey. Go ahead. Hop on that. Hop on that. Um, so there were a few commits this week. Uh, there were. Matt, Matt, who are those those commits? So the three commits officially this week, a couple guys that we've already talked about uh, on the show. Ismael Smith-Flores, tight end. He's from Arlington Martin, where Bob Wager was coaching. He's going to be in the same room as his former coach, also Jeremiah. 
Josiah Charles, another guy that we talked about last week, uh, also from Arlington Martin, also was coached under Bob Wager. He committed this week. Demetrius Bell was uh, was the highest rated guy that committed this week. Three stars on some recruiting sites. He was a four star in other recruiting sites as well. So three four star guy from Nashville, Tennessee. Another wide receiver. So. Bell, a pretty big get. I mean, he's a guy that a lot of people were surprised that he mm-hmm. fell so late into the recruiting process. He he definitely is the type of prospect you would expect to sign at the winter signing period. He'll sign next week with Nebraska, unless you know you, you never know. You see what happens over the. You next see four what days. happens, but you know more than likely, it seems like once Nebraska zeroed in on Bell, it 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 was meant to be. Another thing. Another commit here, not a high school commit, but still four years of eligibility from Georgia. <laughs> so wild. Jacob Hood, six uh, eight, about what three three hundred uh, three and change three and change. Big boy. Yeah, he's a big old big. dude. Four years of eligibility because he redshirted this last year. Yeah. at Georgia, I believe he plays tackle. He's he is someone that that you got to look at as not necessarily being able to be inserted into the lineup immediately once he gets here. He's a recruit. He, he might as well be a recruit. Well, he's the part who comes in and you say you've got four years, you don't have five, you can't use a red shirt. Sure. Maybe he goes in on some drives and, and you spell a guy here or there depending on injury. Yeah. Or, if, or, they, if they go unbalanced or they bring in an extra right. tackle, you, yeah, you, he, it might be him. Because so, he's big. He's a, he's, he's a big guy. He's a guy who can move some weight. But he's the guy that you look at as part of what this coaching staff wants to do. They want to develop. So because you have a few guys out in front of him, which leads us into the full roster breakdown that, that we have courtesy our buddy Parker on Twitter. And there is some depth at offensive line. Now, when you look at all of the positions, you've got over 100 scholarship guys as of right now going into the 2023 season. you got to get it down to 85 by the time you're at fall camp. So there will be some whittling down over the course of the spring. There will be some of these 2023 signees that don't even show up until you get to the summer and fall camp. That is true. So so some of these signees, not necessarily the transfer portal guys, but those high school recruits, um, like the three of them that you mentioned there, um, guys like a, like a Malachi Coleman, uh, a Riley Van Poppel, um, yeah. some of these guys will early enroll in the spring, but they're going to be here in the fall. Like like for the for the most part, yeah. so so you're looking at having to have attrition from not the 25 ish high school commits coming in, yeah, which already means now you're down to 75 ish and having to cut down at least 15 from there. So yeah, that's the way I look at it. it it's you're not going to cut any of these guys who just committed or who were personally recruited by this staff. Mm-hmm. So you you're really looking at the guys who've been recruited by Frost who. Are, are fighting for their scholarship. Now, something to note here. Something to note here. Brody Belt, Wyatt Lever, Colton Feast, all last year were technically walk-ons, mm-hmm. and, and, their, and their school was paid for by NIL. So a lot of these guys, and I would say for the ones who don't transfer, for the ones who don't leave on their own volition, some of these guys are, they might be taken off of scholarship or their scholarship might be removed because there is that NCAA rule uh, being removed from the team, but that, but that's a, that's not actually no, that's not completely accurate. No, but, no, no. So, so there's there's a rule when you have a new when you have a head coach. But they wouldn't change. be on the team if they if that rule was enforced. Well, right? they they could be cut. And so the rule is sure when you have a head coaching change, and this is what they did when Lincoln Riley went out to USC. Yeah. You have so much time that that head coach can technically cut players from the team to open up those scholarships. That's not a yeah. normal thing that you could do. Scott Frost could not have done that a year ago. Yeah. Because it was not under that certain time period with the head coaching change. So you have that aspect here that you technically could cut a player. Let's say a an Anthony Grant. Yeah. Like like and he I don't think he's going to get cut. Like, sure. I think he's going to be around for this next year. But technically, you could cut that player and then he could walk on back to the program. Yes. And then you could and without a scholarship. Now the the thing with that rule and the reason why I kind of pulled up on it a little bit is because a part of that rule is you, they can be cut, but they still get the benefits of having a scholarship. They're just not on the football team, and their mm-hmm. scholarship doesn't get count to the football team. Right. So, but I just want to throw out there that Matt Rule isn't gonna. A lot of these guys, Matt Rule isn't just gonna cut. They're gonna be off the team. They'll still be on the team. They'll just get paid for in, with NIL as that's opposed to having having a scholarship. And that's something that they've done in the past. Now, are all are they gonna do that with sixteen guys? 
Most likely not. I think a lot, a decent amount of these guys are going to move on their own. Look, when you're looking at the roster breakdown here, Caleb, there's one position that everyone points to immediately, and that's wide receiver. You have 16 wide receivers on scholarship right now. That's an astronomical amount. Um, And I think that in particular, you have six wide receivers who are or who are incoming freshmen. Now, what I expect is that they are going to cut that in half in terms of they're going to redshirt at least three or four of them, and they'll have two of them who they think can contribute to the team because I think that there will be a spot, at least one spot, for a freshman wide receiver to contribute on this team. They'll let they'll they'll have those other two because I don't think I think it's especially in this transfer portal period of college football, having six guys in one class and one position group. That's just a recipe for a lot of transfers. So they're definitely going to have to, and they, I think it's inevitable that they might lose one of these six guys just because of the nature of, of the game that we're in right now. But I think that they're going to have to split they're going to have to redshirt some. They can't redshirt all six, I don't think. I don't think they can redshirt just for... Not not unless you had enough of your upperclassmen in that position group sure. really say, nope, these are our spots. Yeah. And then you can mix in four games from each of those guys. Jalen, Like a Jalen Lloyd, and you're like, okay, he's got a few games here, kind of the same way you used Xavier Betts a couple years ago, where yeah. it's go be super quick. You can mix in some Malachi. Here's the thing. I don't think Malachi Coleman's going to redshirt. I, don't, I think he's going to play. Yeah. So so you now got- look, I've always been I've always been someone who said I think Malachi should be a tight end, but he's clearly been recruited as a wide receiver, and he clearly wants to be a wide receiver because all these other teams that were recruiting him, a lot of them that he turned down didn't want him to be a wide receiver. They wanted him to play a different position. I don't want Malachi to put on weight to play tight end. I think he'd be a great tight end, up the seam, pass catching. But now here's the problem: they have eight tight ends on the roster already, and none of them are seniors. Mm. So I don't think that's going to happen. But but just that's so, what I always thought in terms of if you want to cut down wide receivers, I think Malachi Coleman would be an incredible tight end. I think, but, you're gonna, I think you're but gonna he's going to stay there. He's going to stay there. Yeah, I think you're going to see you're going to see some wide receivers go because you've got sixteen. I think you're going to see one or two quarterbacks go. Now, now you're bringing in Jeff Sims, who's who's technically a junior by eligibility, but you've also got now now all of these guys where they're at: Richard Torres, redshirt freshman; Chuba Purdy and Heinrich Harburg are technically sophomores. Logan Smothers and Sims are juniors, and then in his final year, Casey Thompson. You've got six guys. I can easily see you losing two quarterbacks. I agree. So you, you've got some attrition going to happen there. I, now, here's it, 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 my number one attrition spot, and I was kind of getting to getting here. Defensive back. Defensive back. Without a doubt. And, 18 and, guys. And, and it's not even that it's 18, Caleb. Look at who's who's returning next year. You have... All of your starters and all of your backups coming back <laughs> to be a defensive back. You have Newsom and Hartzog, who were the starters last year. You have Farmer and Buford, who were your two safeties. You even have Noah Gates, who took the spot of Farmer when Farmer missed that game uh, due due to some issues. Then you also you still have Tommy Hill somewhere on here that could double as a wide receiver slash cornerback. So. And then you also have in the nickel spot, you got Gifford, Wright, and Omar Brown, who all played at one point last mm-hmm. year. So you got about 22 guys, nickels and defensive backs, who are on scholarship. I would expect that a lot of these guys are probably going to end up transferring. I mean, you have alone five sophomore defensive backs who are all under the current starters of that secondary. So along with, by the way, four defensive backs who are coming in for this incoming freshman class. Yeah. So I think that is going to, I think a lot of this roster in terms of getting down to 85 is really going to manage itself because of how many guys you have at defensive back and wide receiver. Now, I don't think as many wide receivers will, will leave as, as people are assuming. So Mm -hmm. just because it kind of is, it's very interesting how the wide receiver room is broken up. You have six incoming freshmen, but then you have, Two redshirt freshmen, two sophomores, two juniors, four seniors. So it, it is there. You can look at your. You can look if you're a wide receiver, whether you're a redshirt freshman, sophomore, or junior. You can look at it and be like, "Hey, there's playing time somewhere down the line for me." If you're a defensive back, I mean, you're just competing just to be the best in your class, <laughs> let alone get on the field. There are two other position groups I want to hit really quick. Defensive line, you've got five 
guys coming in yeah, as freshmen. That's and, and then you have six that are sophomores to senior. One senior was Stefan Wynn, two juniors, three now, sophomores. So, I want I want to say something real quick on the D-line. I, I would expect that Cameron Lenhart and uh, Prince Well, uh, how do you, do you know how to say his last name? Let, let me zoom in on there. Uman Mielin? Yeah. Or Uman Mielin? Yeah. I think those two are, are going to be edges. I don't think they're going to be D line. Right. So, so, so that moves some guys around it because does. you do only have three edge guys. Yeah. Um, so other, I think they'll go to edge. So the other one you might have eight D linemen. The other one you might lose one guy on is a uh, running back room. Where, it's so deep. It's so good. I, I, know. I mean, I mean, you look at every single one of them. Now, I guess we don't know a lot about Ives, but AJ Allen and Emma Johnson are both very good backs. And then you also have Gabe Urban and Ramir Johnson, and those are four dudes who could play D one college ball. Who could get who could get touches? I think at a at a power five level. If he's but, healthy, it's AJ Allen's job. It, that, without a doubt, that's what it is. So but I then think, you got Anthony Grant, who was a really good running back last I, year. I know. And here's the thing: AJ Allen would have taken that job as the I, year one. I agree. So, and, so and also, too, I really like Emma Johnson. Emma Johnson was already playing special teams last year. He looked really I good. I know. There's some guys. So so when you start to look at and you don't know what this offensive style looks like with wanting Absolutely. to use Ramir Johnson because of how fast he is. So I think we're going to learn a lot in spring ball. I could even see out of those six, and you don't want to, but you could lose up to two of the guys there. And then, then oh, you start to feel really that'd thin. Be so tough. Well, and that wouldn't be the coaches forcing them out. That would be no. them saying, "I don't well, see myself being." Well, top there's three. a reason. Look, there's a reason they went out, went out, and they got six wide receivers for for incoming freshmen. There's a reason why edge and D linemen they went out and they got five guys. There's a reason why with offensive line they went out and they got five guys. They did not get one dude who was a running back. They like transfer. Or incoming freshmen. There's a reason why they didn't do that, and it's because they know that's where they're strongest. And from everything we've heard about this staff and their style of play on the offensive side of the ball, they want to run the ball. Real quick, because we said we were going to mention Ed Foley. Here is a list that the uh, the Twitter user Black Shirts. You put a V in there for Black Shirts. He went through and put Crazy. together an entire list Crazy. of where Ed Foley has shared a picture of as of yesterday as he travels across the region. I'm going to name just the Nebraska ones. Ainsworth, Archbishop Bergen, Ashland Greenwood, Auburn, Aurora, Battle Creek, Bellevue East, Bellevue West, Bennington, Benson, Blair, Bishop, Newman, Boystown, Bryan, Buena Vista, Burke, Central, Central Catholic, Central City, Columbus, Cozad, Creighton Prep, Cross County, Donovan Trumbull, Elkhorn North and South, Elm Creek, Freeman, Fremont, Gothenburg, Grand Island, Gross Catholic, Hastings, Jefferson County, Johnson Brock, Johnston, Kearney, Kearney Catholic, Lexington, Lincoln, Christian, Lincoln, Lutheran, Lincoln, Southwest, Lord Central Catholic, Millard North, South and West, Nebraska City, Norfolk, Norfolk Catholic, Norris, North Bend Central, North Platte, North Platte Central Catholic, Osceola, Overton, Papillion La Vista, Papillion La Vista South, Platteview, Ralston, Ron Cali Catholic, Schuyler, Scotus, Seward, Scott, South Sioux City, uh... There was St. Pat's there, St. Cecilia, Sterling, Syracuse, Takima Herman, Wahoo, Wayne, Westside, Wood River, York, Utah. You know that scene in Ted? <laughs> that's, that's, I just feel like I lived that. <laughs> that was funny. Man, these, that was impressive. That was impressive. That was a very good job on your part. These guys are making a move to go to all of the high schools in the state. Hey, it sends a message, man. It they want a good message. Someone else who's been wanting to lock down the state. You've seen it happening. That's Nebraska baseball coach Will Bolt. He joins us next on the KLIN Husker Hour. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. You- Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. <laughs> Caleb Henry, Matt McMaster with you on a Saturday morning. Working on getting a hold of Nebraska baseball coach Will Bolt. They began practice yesterday. There was a little bit of snow still on 10 Hartog. And, yeah. Um, it, it's nice to see those guys able to have an outdoor practice. I remember so many years in a row having to go over and be part of that indoor facility. And 
the guys would have just gotten done or they're just about to go. And the whole time trying to interview all of these guys, and this is fantastic for Coach Ronda Ravel's softball team, they are a loud practice. And that, I mean, that's what you want. You want communication. You want people fired up. But when you are all in that indoor facility, even though there's just like the glass between uh, where we are and where they are, Softball is a loud practice, really? man. Yes. Really? That is surprising to me. They are, they are fired up, hitting stuff around in there. Wow. And, which, by the way, Nebraska softball begins their season on February 10th. Yeah. Uh, Excited so, for them. So I mean, they're that's, gonna be, that's a great group that they got over there. Yep, so so that they're they're going to get that uh, rolling. You've seen a number of different um, publications come out and have Husker softball in the top twenty-five, yeah, um, as high as I think number twenty-one. So a lot of good stuff happening for Nebraska softball. They'll get started on February tenth. Nebraska men or Nebraska men's baseball, Nebraska baseball sure. starts on February seventeenth. Which, by the way, that's what here on KLIN we are calling the unofficial start of spring. February 17th, because you will have Nebraska baseball starting. Um, that week, you will have pitchers and catchers report starting to report for Major League Baseball. And, of course, we will have the Munch Madness selection Friday on LNK Today with Jack uh, and Friends. That's I'm excited. From, I'm excited for that. That's from 6 to 9 in the morning on February 17th. And, of course, then Husker Baseball taking on San Diego later in the day right here on 1400 and 99.3 KLIN. Um, go ahead, Matt. Do you have the baseball schedule pulled I up? I do. I do have the baseball schedule. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. So you start off at San Diego. Then you go down at out South Alabama the next week. And then in a Cambria College Classic, you got Vanderbilt, Hawaii, and defending champion Ole Miss. Very tough schedule after that. Then at home, Northern Colorado, March 7th. That's the home opener, March 7th against Northern Colorado. And then right after that, you got Illinois State, March 10th through 12th. Omaha, and then you got a you got a big big homestand really from March March seventh uh, all the way to the nineteenth. You got four different teams coming into town. Well, we got a little bit of ways to get before that. We've got Nebraska head baseball coach Will Bolt on the line here on a Saturday morning. Coach, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes on the Husker Hour. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Caleb Henry, Matt McMaster with you. And it, Coach, so you go through, you, you've got all of the fall ball that happens, you get through the winter workouts, you're officially into your practices for the season. You got outdoors, but there was still a little bit of snow on the uh, on the ground there at Den Hartog. What's it feel like to, to finally be there, have the whole group together, and get those practices going ahead of the season? Well, yeah, first of all, it was... Uh, we're really appreciative uh, of the crew over there um, at Den Hartog. Just the, earlier in the week, we kind of saw that there may be some 40-degree weather on Friday. So uh, there was snow on the ground, and I know they worked hard to, uh, you know, get that snow removed for us. So we were very grateful to to have that here in, in Lincoln to, to be able to practice on. But it was just – it was good to get everybody together. We've been going for a couple of weeks now with what we call our skill instruction uh, but as you said, it's not necessarily everybody together. Uh, it's kind of in some smaller groups. So, uh, th- you know, this 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 group of, of guys, um, it, it's just been a fun group. Um, they, they've really meshed well. Uh, they've been very intentional uh, with just their their chemistry and, and becoming a brotherhood. And, and they've really um, just been a, a fun group to coach. And that's that's usually a really good sign for the coaching staff when we can go and, and feel like we can get their best every day. Coach, my, my dad played baseball at, uh, at, at Kansas before wrapping up his career at the University of Nebraska um, in 90, and he would always tell me about how you they would go down south to play some of those first games, and it might be in the 50s, and they're all in short sleeves, and all the guys down south are in hoodies. Did you ever have a time coaching in Texas that you saw 40 degrees and said, yes, we can get outside? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a little different um, in the South. I, I would say just it, forty degrees is uh, you're probably tucking tail and, and going somewhere where it's warmer. Uh, up here, you know, we look at that forecast and say, "Hey, what a great opportunity to get better." So that that's and we're going to be planning that, you know, in March and, mm-hmm. and April at times the Big Ten. So. Uh, we need to go out there, and pitchers need to feel the ball in their hands in that that temperature, and uh, the infielders and the hitters. So um, it was a great day to get better, 
Coach Bolt, Matt McMaster here. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here just a little bit. Through the offseason, has there been one player or maybe a, a group of players that you've been really impressed with and you've really seen improve uh, throughout the offseason that uh, Husker fans should not be surprised if they really uh, go out and perform over these next couple of weeks? You know, I, I don't know that I could just maybe pinpoint a single player. I, I would say this just speaking to the chemistry and the culture and, and the care factor of this group, I, I would say in particular uh, the, the group of guys, I think there's 11 of them that were part of the 2021 team that are still on the roster. Those guys have been uh, amazingly intentional each and every day to get back and get that feeling. And there, and, and that, that group of, of guys has just absolutely poured everything they possibly can into into this program. And, you know, you're in that group. You've got some guys like Jake Buns, uh, Kyle Perry, uh, who are coming off injuries and they're doing everything they can. They're busting their tails to get ready to pitch. And Shea Shanneman, um, you know, decided to come back for his fifth year rather than pursuing professional opportunities. And, um, you know, Bryce Matthews has stepped into leadership role and Max Anderson stepped into leadership role. So, I, you know, I'm going to kind of dance around that question without probably highlighting one particular player and just talk about how proud I am of the, the just a collective group of guys that, that really want to, to, to do some things to, to make sure we get back to that championship level of play. When we heard from some of the guys yesterday, one in particular, Garrett, Garrett Anglin, was talking about how uh, chemistry has been such a such a strong pursuit for this group through the offseason going into this year. You mentioned that 2021 group and any of those guys that are back. In 2021, it looked like every guy up and down the order was there, there was a, a true brotherhood that you get with college athletics. Not to say that it wasn't there last year, but there were obviously some some injury issues, and it's harder to see that, that success happen. Uh, what, where have you seen that chemistry for this group with so many new guys coming on board? Yeah, I think that that's definitely been apparent. And again, it wasn't as if the chemistry was bad last year. It's just it was different, right? Like we had kind of a, a larger group of older players and then a large group of young players. So there were, the age gap was pretty spread out. Um, and it just things are a little bit different when you're 22, 23 than they are when you're 18. And so uh, we have a, a little bit smaller group of young players. Uh, but, but I will say this to a man, each and every freshman has showed up with a great attitude to improve every day. Uh, and then, you know, you add in a couple of second year guys that are really talented uh, that, you know, that got their feet wet last year in college baseball that are more comfortable this year because of it. Uh, and then some junior college players who are in their third or fourth year, and then a lot of a lot of older guys. So we have a good mix this year. Um, and again, they've they've just made it a point. Those those eleven guys that are back. That look, this is what it's supposed to look like. We're not just going to assume it's going to go year to year. You have to be intentional with it. And and these guys have done that. Uh, Coach, offensively last year, there there were some rough stretches of, of hitting the ball. Some some guys that maybe you expected to hit the ball a little bit better, just kind of as a whole, didn't. Well, what's what's that focus been on offensively? And and do do you have a really a set nine, or are there guys still battling for spots? No, we've definitely got a battle for spots, and and I think we've got probably four or five guys on top of just the starting nine that you feel like would would be able to step right in if need be in a starting lineup. And maybe you can play matchups a little bit more. Uh, maybe you can play depending on, you know, what the weather is. Do you want to, maybe you can play some more speed guys uh, if, the, if the wind's blowing in, or maybe if the wind's blowing out, maybe you can put a couple more guys in there um, that can, you know, get you an extra base hit. So I think the, probably the biggest difference we've seen is you never want to be, like single player reliant or, mm-hmm. um, you know, relying on a couple of two or three guys to really carry the load. Uh, Cause hitting is hard and, you know, even the best are going to fail, um, you know, 65, 70% of the time. So we you know what we ran into last year is we were one through five. We were generally pretty solid. And then six through nine, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of up and down. So we're, we've really worked hard to, increase that depth and um you know that that way one through nine it makes it difficult on a pitcher uh to 
to really there's no there's no easy out. So um, I, I feel like we're in a better spot that way. How it turns out to look offensively uh, remains to be seen. Are we going to be a team that's going to you know rely on speed? I think we've got some of that. Um, we have some guys that can can drive the baseball as well. Uh, but really, what you need to be is is just as solid and tough and team oriented one through nine. Another minute here with Nebraska baseball coach Will Bolt here on the KLIN Husker Hour. On that other side, I, you went through some injuries with your pitchers last year, and that kind of disrupted the rotation. Do you have an idea of what you want for the for those weekend guys? I think we've got a pretty good idea, and, and a little bit like the the lineup where you feel like there's probably, um, you know, a, a few extra guys in there. I think we've got probably five or six guys that are capable of, of giving us a good start. Um, you know, I think Olsen, Emmett Olsen ended up pitching quite a bit on the weekend for us last year. You figure he's he's going to continue to take a step forward and give us an opportunity to win on the weekends. Jace Kaminska has been a guy who's been a, a weekend starter and a Friday night starter for Wichita State for a couple of years. Um, he's trending in that direction. Caleb Clark's a freshman um, who's done nothing but impress since he's been here. Uh, Michael Garza, um, incarnate words Friday night starter from a year ago has been a guy that um, has been very successful that way. And then we've got a couple of young players that, that could potentially step up as well, um, you know, in some of those roles. So I feel like we've got some guys, um, you know, that we can keep a, a Perry and a Shanneman in the bullpen. And there, there's your Friday and Saturday night starters from last year. If you feel like you can put those guys in the bullpen, then, then you're on to something. I that that would be phenomenal to see it some of those uh, guys run out. Hey, coach, a kind of a cross sport question here. We're seeing with the the new football staff come in, really try to take advantage of the talent that's inside the state of Nebraska. Lock down the borders. We saw you do that when you got here. Uh, talk about how you guys were going to lock down Nebraska. We've seen some guys that even had started out elsewhere coming back to play for you. Uh, what what is the importance of that uh, for athletics as a whole, especially you for baseball to to get that in state talent to want to come be Huskers? Oh, it is. It's, it's first and foremost in our minds when we're recruiting. I mean, we, we start here. We don't, we don't start anywhere else. There's no other state to start, no other region to start, no other place to look, uh, but inside the state of Nebraska. And, you know, there's a lot of kids in this state that grow up bleeding Husker red. And, um, you know, they, they've, they've had dreams of playing here since they were young. And, Everything's got to align. I mean, it's got to be a need for our roster. It's got to be a fit uh, culturally and, and just from a personality standpoint. Uh, but, but that's where we start is, is in the state. And we, we have great relationships in the state with the coaches. And, um, you know, we've, we've made that a priority since we've been here. And we're going to continue to do that and, um, you know, try to get the very best players each and every year from inside the state of Nebraska. That's Nebraska baseball head coach Will Bolt. Hey, coach, best of luck this season. We're really looking forward to seeing you guys get started February 17th, and uh, we love getting to carry all of your games right here on KLIN. Thanks for giving us a few minutes. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for everything. Thanks for everything you guys do. There you go. We'll get to a break, look a little bit at the baseball schedule, and talk some basketball as well here on the KLIN Husker Hour. Husker football, basketball, baseball, and beyond. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. Big thank you to Nebraska baseball coach, the head man, Will Bolt, for coming on, giving us a few minutes. You also had, by the way, if you miss any of that, you can go hit the podcast page up at uh, at KLIN.com. But you had earlier this morning uh, Pastor Stu Kearns on Friendly Fire. He talked with assistant Jeff Christie. So if you want a little bit of that spring fix, you're ready to go with that baseball fever, uh, hit the podcast page. You can listen to Stu Kearns talk with Jeff Christie and obviously our conversation with Coach Will Bolt just a little bit ago. Uh, Matt, you went through that, that schedule, especially through that non-con, getting all the way up to the home opener against Northern Colorado. Colorado. Obviously, they'll start out on the road on the 17th through the 20th at San Diego. Um, That's one of the things about being a Northern program is you got to start out on the road. You do. You do. And, uh, you know, that's really tough, man. Going and I, and it's not, it's really because it's three days apart. You're going to Pacific time, Mm -hmm. going to San Diego, and then you got to go all the way south to Alabama. And you got to come back. I mean, that's a lot of travel. I mean, that's especially to start off the season. I mean, going. I mean, I 
I hate flying out to California. I can't. I couldn't imagine flying out to California and then having to fly back and then fly to Alabama. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of travel in very short time. They play their last game against San Diego Monday, and then they play their first game on Friday. So against South Alabama, so that's going to be a tough little start there. And then no breaks as you got Vanderbilt, Hawaii, and Ole Miss. I mean, just three really good teams. So that's the weekend that I have circled right yeah. now because obviously that's right before you come home to start with a midweek home opener. Um, you do have these two road series with San Diego and South Alabama, but I'm circling that one at Minneapolis um, because they will go up. It's the Cambria College Classic, Vanderbilt on Friday, Friday morning, as a matter of fact, 11 a.m., March 4th on that Saturday, you get Hawaii, and then on the Sunday in the afternoon, you get Ole Miss. That's the tape measure. That, I mean, th- those are those are all teams last year who were competing to go to, to the regional, to, to Omaha, and Ole Miss not only went to Omaha, they won the whole dang thing. Yeah. So there, there's your measuring stick for where you are as a program. Can you go in with those one and done games? Yeah, with with those you don't get a whole series with them. How do you set up your weekend? What does that rotation look like? You got a couple weekends to figure it out ahead of time. But man, I love having baseball season here. By the way, real quick, don't overlook Illinois State. They got a lot of good Illinois guys on that team. They really do. They they pick, they pluck a lot of really good Illinois baseball players. So that's not. You might see Illinois State and be like, eh, that's that's no cakewalk. ISU's garbage, and that's all I'll say about that's that. That's why I said we'll, it. We'll talk Nebraska men's and women's basketball wrap up the Husker Hour next. Talking with current and former Huskers and those that cover the Big Red, this is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Wrapping things up on a Saturday, we'll get to some basketball talk. Bold Nebraska men's and women's basketball in action today. I'm going to be covering the women's game at noon, but first let's talk that men's basketball. Uh, Matt McMaster, you, you've you really been covering this team actually a little bit more than I have recently, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I, I took the reins a little bit because I, need, I needed something to do in between like my <laughs> six-week break from from uh, school, so I, I've been writing. Jeez, I, UNL, let these kids come back I, I to know, class. let the kids play. But uh, <laughs> Look, I, I've been, yeah, I've been watching this team a lot and following way more than I had been in November and December. And granted, I still was writing game and watching games. Right. But you know, when you are when you're writing these games, you got you watch the whole forty minutes, and you got to mm-hmm. be very intent. You got to understand what you're seeing. And, and so, so you go back a few weeks, and you have the the injury. And we were sure. both at that game. You were covering it. I was there to just watch and have a couple beverages with Jack <laughs> Mitchell. But you see Jawan Gary go out with the shoulder, and you're like, that didn't look good. No. Then you find out, okay, he's going to need season-ending surgery. You go two weeks later, and you see Emmanuel Bandamel go off exactly a week ago, last Saturday against Penn State, and you're like, that doesn't look good. You get to Monday. I can't remember if it was Monday, Tuesday. Um, but Coach Hoiberg announced, done for the year as well. Those were your two guys that got the black shirts from Trev Alberts yeah. because of what they did defensively for this program. You only had 10 games this year where you had that core group of Bandamel, Gary, um, Walker, and Greasel. And I believe they got six wins out of those. I think it was seven and three. That's it, what I, I, saw. I went and counted it up, and it was Did six. You, it was six? So, so in that six to seven they range. They were good. They were good, regardless. But still, you were above 500 yeah. with that group. Below 500 without it. So I, I saw Northwestern as a transition game because, first off, you get you get the Bandamel injury, and then you only have a couple days after that to really yeah. recover, a couple days of practice to recover. And they were using that one three one scheme to put pressure on Northwestern towards the end of the game. And mm-hmm. Hoiberg admittedly said at the press conference, we'd only been running that for two days. And, yeah. and like that's something that we're going to continue to work on. So they're changing their scheme because without, like, they are. They play their best ball when they're a defensive identity and mm-hmm. when they're rebounding the ball. And Gary was one of their best rebounders, and Bandamel was their best perimeter defender. Maybe Bandamel probably was going to make the big all Big Ten defensive team, in yeah. all honesty. And now you lose both of those guys, and you could not have faced a worse team coming out of that with Northwestern, considering how much they work on the perimeter and how you have that two-headed monster and Chase Audige and Boo Booey. I mean, those two, that was the worst team they could have possibly played after losing their two best perimeter defenders. But look, this is a team that we know can win. They've won 10 games. They're one win away from having the most wins Fred Horiberg has ever had here at Nebraska. Mm -hmm. They know that, hey, we can have a defensive identity and and continue to compete in these games. Because here's the thing. 
They've lost their last few games by double digits. But there were moments where they were really competitive with Penn State Northwestern. And there were moments where it seemed like they could have won that game, especially in the first half against Northwestern. And they had a lead against Penn State in that second half until they pulled away at the end. They had that big run the Nittany Lions did. But look, yeah. doesn't change today. 3 o'clock, playing Maryland. 3.30. 3.30. Good to know. <laughs> um <laughs> Maryland's incredible defensive team. They really show a lot of different looks, a lot of man, a lot of zone, a lot of, you know, it's going to be really tough on this offense, an offense who we've seen at times struggle, but they didn't struggle against Northwestern. They shot 47% from the field, nine threes. They did a good job. It was that defensive end, but Maryland, 26th in effective field goal percentage, 26th in the nation in effective field goal percentage, and, uh, you know, really top 50 in a lot of these stats, three-point percentage, two-point percentage, you know, efficiency right. ratings, whatever. This is just a good defensive team going to be a challenge for uh, Nebraska today. 3.30 tip, 2.30 pregame at Maryland for Nebraska men's basketball right here on 1,499.3 KLIN. You got a big one for women's basketball today as well. That's coming up at noon, 11.45 pregame over on our sister station, B1073 at number 10, Iowa. They've got the, be pre- tough. the premier player in the country. Yeah. Caitlin Clark. Like that, that that alone makes it difficult when you're not able to throw Allison Widener out on her a little bit. Losing so, losing Widener, I don't think there was a worse player they could have lost, truthfully. Because Widener was that bridge. They were going a, a team that is so, I wouldn't say dependent, but shoots as many threes as Nebraska women's basketball does. You need that bridge of a player who you can just give them the ball and go, hey, go and get us a couple points. Flasher. Hey, so go to the basket. Open up the the perimeter. Give us some lanes. Give us some some like let you know the post is a lot. It's a lot easier to establish the post when defenders have to worry about defending the paint before mm. defending the post. I think that's also been the issue for Jazz Shelley because she, she has to be so ball dominant. And you saw Widener be able to handle the ball. And that this team has had issues with physical defensive teams. That's what you're going to see yeah. from from Iowa today. Um, that game as well. Like Obviously, we're going to push, listen to our radio broadcast sure. as sure. we are a Huskers Radio Network affiliate. Um, listen to Matt Cotney and Jeff Creech. But it is on Fox. Big Fox. Yeah. Um, today at noon. Big noon kickoff? Is it at 12? It's it's right at noon. Okay, I okay. guess. I so, guess that's what we'll call so, it. So, yeah, you got big noon kickoff, Nebraska at number 10, Iowa women's basketball. Also, they're really trying to sell out that game when it comes back Go. to Nebraska in a few Go. weeks. Sell Go that place it. out. Pack PBA. You can find women's those tickets. Women's basketball games are great. I love them. Huskers.com slash tickets. Big thank you once again to Nebraska baseball coach Will Bolt. They began practice yesterday, February 17th, coming up their first game of the year. Softball starts on February 10th. Football, guys. Keep it right here to KLIN. There's something happening every single day. Every uh, we've got those sports casts throughout the day, Monday through Friday. And if you missed anything, head over to the podcast page, KLIN.com. I'm Caleb Henry. Hey, Matt, thanks for letting me join you. Of course, of course. Thanks for coming. Go Big Red.